0: Creed by God. This is the way it's set up. So uh, Daniel sees, he's he has revealed to him in the night Nebuchadnezzar's dream and the interpretation. You know, nobody ever asked for, tell me my dream. But he had forgotten it. It just it had gone from him. So He had this dream about the great statue, so he decides to make a great statue. He makes a 90-foot-tall gold statue, probably weighed a lot, um, and nine feet across through the shoulders. And then he called all the leaders of the land to come together, and uh, when they heard the music, they were supposed to bow down to the idol. And I'm sure you've read this story before and heard it before. But these three Hebrew men, uh, their names were Azariah, Mishael, and something else. You can look at it in the first chapter. From then on, they're called uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, these are God's names from Babylon that are included in their names. So when you conquer somebody, you change their name, and that means you're their Lord. It's like when uh, Adam had to name all the animals. He became the Lord of all the animals. And uh, when they sinned, Adam even named Eve after they sinned. So he had to become her Lord. And then when God deals with people, like he changed the name Abram to Abraham. Uh, Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father of a great noise, great multitude. Uh, Jacob, remember him? His name was changed to Yisrael, one who out-wrestles God. And the name Israel then is very common and used often and many many people are named Israel besides uh, Jacob so when God changes somebody's name uh, names are very important in the Hebrew background Uh, God has something like 50 names in scripture Jesus has nearly 50 names in scripture so In this passage, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar had already set up this statue and had changed these men's names, and so he expected them to worship the statue just like everybody else. But they didn't do it, and some people came and told him. So he called these three men in front of everybody and said, uh, you have a chance. I'm going to have them play the music and you will fall down and worship my idol, or I'll throw you in the fiery furnace. Let me show you what that fiery furnace was like. It was a... a... uh, a lime kiln... They've dug up several of these over there. They're several stories tall, and on this side they have a platform, and then they have steps going up to it, you know, however many stories tall it was. And so the king commanded that these three men be thrown in the fire. You know you know this story. But first, he said, "I want you to make it seven times hotter than usual." which means they threw in seven times as many bundles of sticks soaked in pitch. You know, there's plenty of oil over in that area. And so these are oil-soaked bundles that are thrown in. They probably threw in seven times as much. And so the soldiers take them up here and throw them off. And the soldiers who do this, are burnt, they're destroyed, they're killed. What The wind comes in here, and the tremendous heat goes up like this, and they use this to melt rocks. I mean, that's how hot it is. To get the lime out of rocks so they can uh, use it for uh, fertilizer on their crops and things like that. So here's this enormous fire, this horrible fire, today they call this venturi's principle if you if you study uh, carburetors on cars uh, you know about that this this opening here is probably where the king went king probably went over and stood here and looked inside and saw not one not two not three not, but four men in the fire he says didn't we throw three men in the fire I see a fourth one in there and he looks like son of God and he called to them called into the the fire and these three men came walking out the fourth one didn't come out he he was there for protection I think the main lesson in this third chapter, I'm going to put a word up here. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Maybe you are. The word scruple. Scruple means you have made a decision long before the event occurs. They had decided they were not going to worship that idol. Their faith is shown in what they say to Nebuchadnezzar. We know our God can save us from this, but whether he will or not, we will not bow down to your idol. Because they knew who the true God was, just like Daniel did. Now, Daniel wasn't here in this story. Apparently, he was off someplace in the distance serving the king. So these guys had already decided and I think we're in a situation similar today I've talked to you about how many people are dying every day for Christ Uh, you know thousands every week 322 average deaths for Christ in the world today Uh, church is exploding with growth and whenever the church grows Satan always is there He's always involved. And he's never learned his lesson. In the first century, he persecuted the church, and the church exploded with growth as a result. It's like sitting on a blob of mercury. You know, it just goes off in every direction. And this is what happens under persecution. In chapter 8 of Acts, right after the stoning of Stephen, uh, God told them, to scatter, and they scattered all over the earth preaching the gospel. The only people who didn't scatter uh, were the apostles. They stayed in Jerusalem. These are the same guys that heard Jesus say, go to all nations. They stayed in Jerusalem. They still didn't get it. And everybody else went out preaching the word. But... Uh, the disciples didn't get it yet. So these guys had made up their minds before the situation happens. You know, with kids, kids don't make a decision uh, in the last three seconds in the back seat of a Chevy. You know, kids make a, decis- a decision that they're not going to do this, they're not going to have sex, they're not going to do drugs, you have to make the decision beforehand. That's called scruple. If people have scruples, they're going to obey God. It's a decision you make before you get into the situation. Uh, And likewise with all of us, what happens if Sharia law is brought in in this country, you know, first of all, you ladies, you don't want that. I cannot imagine a woman uh, converting from Christianity or even Judaism to Islam. It just makes no sense because women become property of the men. They're abused by the men. They can do anything they want to to them. Uh, we, we're we in a situation here where if, you know, I've noticed that after Trump made this statement about not allowing certain uh, nations to come in, it was rescinded by some judge in California. Uh, but almost no one's coming in from those places. Because they know what's going to happen if they do, the chances are they're going to be sent back out. But if if it's allowed, uh, right now, Islam is about one percent of our nation. Uh, the the people who follow Muhammad, one percent. But you watch, it's it's going to slowly increase. When they get to thirty-five percent. In every country they've gotten into, they, they bring in Sharia law. And that is uh, totally destructive, especially to womanhood. But we have to make our decisions ahead of time. What are we going to do if we have a choice? You know, they, go into this, they went into this college uh, over in uh, Kenya. And they ask people, they knock on their doors and ask them when they came to the door, Are you a Christian or a Muslim? And they would say, I'm a Christian. They'd shoot them right there. Uh, you have to decide beforehand whether you're going to commit to Jesus and stick with that and die for your faith or even be tortured or jailed or whatever. It's happening all over the world. This is where all these. 322 people a day are being killed. It's where the Muslims, the terrorists, have come in and attacked these people. And terror is, you know, it's a fairly new concept in our culture. When I was a kid, there wasn't any such thing. But I remember uh, remember hearing Winston Churchill say this is the most dangerous religion on the planet because he said it's not a religion, it's a, an ideology, a political ideology. And uh, again and again, you know, I've read the Koran several times. It starts out by saying things like Jews and Christians are our brothers. Uh, Jews and Christians are people of the book. But toward the end of the Quran, it gets worse and worse, and they say, kill all infidels, kill the Jews, kill the Christians. You know, the, 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 the Quran is made up of surahs, kind of like proverbs, short sayings. And uh, he tells them to cut off the right arm and the left leg of those who reject you, cut off the fingertips of those who reject you. Those who don't receive Muhammad as the ultimate prophet uh, will be killed. I saw some kids uh, missionaries showed a, a video of some kids with one arm carrying a uh, um, a crutch and with the with that same leg being cut off so you got left arm, right leg cut off or right arm, left leg cut off, fulfilling what the Koran says. You know, here Jesus comes and says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Muhammad says, kill them. Destroy them. Ruin their lives. And these kids with, a, with a one leg and a crutch were playing soccer, a bunch of them in this tribe. Uh, happens all the time that they do these things. So you have to make a decision here and now. I think it's, it's very practical to realize that these guys, they weren't tempted at all to worship this idol. They'd already made their decision. Uh, when uh, Polycarp, who was a disciple of John, was uh, tied to a stake, He was 86 years old, and they told him that they were going to burn him to death if he didn't deny Jesus. And they begged him to deny Jesus. He was an old man. They had respect for him, but he said, How can I deny the one that's done me no harm for 86 years? And they ended up burning him at the stake. You you have to make your decision ahead of time. I hope you've done that. that. It's Jesus or nothing. That's chapter three. I was going to spend more time in it originally, but uh, we'll go on to chapter four. (coughs) Chapter four is really unique. Um, Nebuchadnezzar even writes in chapter four. There is uh, there are two secular scholars, historians, who wrote about this event. Uh, Barrosus is one. He's quoted in a fragment of him is quoted in uh, Eusebius about 320 or so A.D. Uh, Barrosus says that Nebuchadnezzar went up on the roof of his castle and in arrogance was looking out over Babylon and saying to himself, look at this, this is great Babylon which I have built. You know. And uh, in the midst of this, according to Barossus, a demon came upon him and changed him from a human being to an animal. The term for this, and it's, it's a correct term, You may have seen this before. You may have heard of the lichens. They are wolves. The word lichen means wolf. And the word anthropos means man. You've heard of werewolves. You've heard maybe of Lou Guru. That's what happened to him. You can go to almost any insane asylum and go into the deepest part of it, and you'll have people there who tell you that they are different kinds of animals. Um, some of them say, I'm a robin redbreast. you know. Some of them say, I'm, I'm a deer. Others say, I'm a wolf. And they actually believe this. And their lives are carried out like this. Uh, Lycanthropy is a documented medical disease. And it happens when people, Now, whether it was a demon or not, we're not told. It's just that God said to him, Your arrogance, I am taking your kingdom away from you for seven years. And so he was driven out from among men. And Daniel describes him as being like uh, his hair, like eagle's feathers. You know, it gets so greasy and so long. And uh, his nails were like talons of birds. Uh, seven years he lived out among the animals and grazed like an ox and may have chased other animals. We don't know. But uh, this is, there's another word for this that you can look up also online, lycanthropy and zoanthropy. Zoanthropy just means some other animal, some kind of animal. So he's out in the field for seven years. God takes his kingdom away from him. Now you remember about Babylon, don't you? Did I tell you about the the walls of Babylon? Three hundred feet high, two hundred feet wide at the bottom. Three sets of walls surrounding the city. Absolutely unconquerable, they said. Well, he, he had built that. This was his thing. Uh he was the greatest general of that era. <coughs> it's uh it's an incredible thing. He called Daniel Belteshazzar, which means uh uh Bel is the guardian. Baal is the guardian. And uh, he says he is the chief of musician, magician, magician, ma, chief of magicians. Easy for me to say. <clears throat> and I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you. This is down in verse nine. And no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. The dream is of a great tree where the birds come and nest in the branches. But the tree is cut down, and a band of brass is put around the tree to keep it from growing. And that was the dream of Nebuchadnezzar in this passage. And so Daniel tells him, the tree is you, O king, and the kingdom is going to be taken away from you. And yet, later, you will sprout up again. So that's... You know, God's showing uh, Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar what's going to happen. And that is exactly what happened. So he's taken out in the woods and left out there by people for seven years, eating grass like an ox, Daniel says. He was baptized by the dew of heaven, Daniel says, for seven years. And then all of a sudden he came to himself. And he came back into his kingdom. And here's what Nebuchadnezzar says. Look at verse 34. I'm sorry. uh, Yeah, 34. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? So this is the beginning of Nebuchadnezzar's conversion. He is converted away from idols. He had so many idols in Babylon. This is why God sent the Jews to Babylon, because they had idols all the time that they were with... You know, the Jews started out with idols all the way back in the time of Abraham. They had household idols, which were called uh, the teraphim. Uh, They had these household idols for many years. Uh, Remember the story of Rachel stealing the household idols from her brother Laban? And... uh, she pretended that she was on her period and was uncomfortable, and was sitting on a camel saddle. And she told her brother, uh, "We didn't take your idols. Uh, you can search the camp, but I can't, I'm sorry, I can't rise in your presence. Uh, the way of women is upon me." That's how they said it. So they searched the camp, never found the idols because they were right there under that camel saddle. Uh, whoever had those idols gets the the uh, inheritance from the Father. So that's why she stole them. They were ancestor worship. And this is what went on throughout the East for hundreds and thousands of years. It, you know, the, the Japanese, in their standard religion is ancestor worship still. Uh, in the East, this is very common. So here is a situation where God punishes A man because of his pride and the man is transformed and realizes that God's the only God (coughs) he actually puts a word out that says if anybody worships a God other than Daniel's uh, he will be cursed so Daniel's God Daniel had incredible influence not just on Nebuchadnezzar but he worked on Darius the Mede he worked with uh, several Median kings and Persian kings. The first king of Persia was Cyrus, and he worked with Cyrus. Cyrus is the one that Isaiah predicted by name 120 years before he was born. Isaiah predicted that Cyrus would let his people go free. And when Daniel showed that prediction in Isaiah, Isaiah calls his name two times, Cyrus. Cyrus will shepherd my people Israel. Cyrus will be the one to set them free. When he tells that two times in uh, Isaiah 40 through 44, he mentions Cyrus by name twice. And so Daniel showed this in the the manuscript of Isaiah to uh, King Cyrus. And he decided to let all the people go back home, not just the Jews, but all people. He set them free, that was 70 years after the captivity. So Jeremiah predicted it would be exactly 70 years that uh, the Jews would be in captivity, and that's exactly what it was. Cyrus let them go free and set all nations back home. But, of course, many of them didn't want to go home. Many of them were stuck there they had learned the language they, you know what happens if somebody speaks a different language in your family your kids grow up with this new language how long does it take to lose the language you had I'm teaching ESL and these, these people are trying to learn English which is I don't envy them en- English is a toughie it, it makes no sense but uh, the these these people want to learn English, and what happens when they move to this country, their kids learn English and Spanish, and then their kids learn only English. My wife's father name was Enrico Ernesto Pietro Nardoni, and uh, he spoke fluent Italian when I met him. But toward the end of his life, after 40 or 50 years, I would ask him a certain word in Italian. He'd... He couldn't think of it. If you don't lose it, you lose it. And my wife probably knows one or two sentences. Maybe not even that much. But that's what happens when you have family growing up in a different culture. All these Jews went into captivity, went into Babylon, speaking Hebrew. But within two generations, they lost it all. They were speaking Aramaic. And when they went back home, Ezra reads the, the Torah to them, and they can't understand it. And they stand out in the sun and cry because they can't understand it. And so they had to interpret. They had to have translators translate that law to the people. And the people stood there all day in the sun listening to the law in their own language. Isn't that strange? You know, I mean, it's just, it's God told them. He said, I will teach you a lesson by a people who speak a language not your own. That's exactly what he did. Seventy years is enough time for two or three generations to lose the original language. Uh, Daniel, the book of Daniel starts out with Hebrew. But when you get to the second chapter, he shifts. When he begins to tell the king the meaning of the dream of the statue, he shifts to Aramaic. And it's Aramaic from then all the way toward the end of the seventh chapter. And then it goes back to Hebrew again. So, obviously, uh, Daniel knew both languages well. Uh, When I taught Aramaic, I had to take him to Daniel. And there are a few other places, like in uh, Jeremiah, where he writes a letter in Aramaic so the people would understand it. Uh, But Daniel's the one that has the most Aramaic in it. So here is this great king, the ruler of all over Babylon, who uh, is converted to God, to the true God. And he makes it very clear. Now, in chapter 5, how, what, what time is it? How much time we got? Oh, oh, is that 7.30? It's incredible that we've gone through two chapters in a half an hour must be because I'm not feeling well. (laughs) Well, chapter 5, there's a king named Belshazzar. Now, the real king has abdicated his throne and left his son, Belshazzar, in charge. The real king's name is Nabonidus. Nabonidus... Uh, just retired and went out in the country and lived in a out in the country he didn't want anything to do with the throne so he gives his son Belshazzar Daniel's name was bel given in Babylon so this guy this Belshazzar was an arrogant young whippersnapper I guess you could say. And uh, he decided to have a party. And so he called all his friends together and they started drinking. And finally somebody says, hey, why don't we drink out of the temple goblets? So they went and drank out of the temple goblets. And they began praising the gods of gold and silver while they were drinking. Now, that very night, I'm going to give you this little those three gigantic walls around the city with uh, alligators or crocodiles in in between the walls. They thought no one could conquer this city, but the Medes and the Persians knew, that the River Euphrates flowed right through the city, so all they did was go upstream, block it. Well, actually, it was up this way, and block the river, and marched in in the riverbank. While this guy was having his party, what city was that? Babylon. Yeah, the great, the great Babylon that no one could ever conquer. But they marched in under the walls after blocking off damming the river, marched in under the walls and took over the, the place without a shot fired. Brilliant maneuver for these uh, Medes and Persians. These are two groups. Remember the the second part of the Uh, vision that Nebuchadnezzar had seen was chest and shoulders of silver, the Medes and the Persians. So the first people to reign then are the Medes. But what happens in this passage is that there is a message. These guys are all drunk, and all of a sudden they see, the Scripture says, The fingers of a man's hand. And they see this writing a message in the wall, you know, know, grinding it into the wall somehow. And the message is written like this. Uh Trying to remember the Hebrew letters from back then. Everybody's trying to read it this way. All the wise men came in. They couldn't read it. So he called Daniel. And Daniel came in, and instead of reading it this way, he read it this way. And what it says is, in English, Manet, Manet, Takel. Tekel is, is the word shekel in Aramaic. And then seen. You can see the N here and the N here. This is the end. When it's on the end of a word it goes down. Mene, mene, teker, lufarsin. Weighed, weighed, uh, unweighed, actually, worthless. And then ufarseen is the kingdom is taken away. The word Pharisee means separated. And so ufarseen means and taken away from you. So you've been found wanting. You've been found lacking. And the kingdom is taken away from you tonight. Daniel has the guts to tell him that. And he rewards Daniel. And then the Medes take over. And Darius the Mede is the new king. And amazingly, usually they kill all the people that are the king's cabinet in the east. It's not like in our country, you know. He just he picks his cabinet, and then they fire him at the end of that. But in those countries, they kill him. And uh, in this case, they they did uh, keep Daniel on. He had a gold chain. He had some kind of a a honor around his waist and around his neck, and uh, royal robes. And so when Darius the took over, he heard apparently about Daniel, and kept him uh, in his kingdom as a as a wise man. <coughs> so Manet, you can see it in your Bibles, uh, verse twenty nine, twenty six. Manet... God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. To Cale, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Perez is the same as the Pharisees, divided off or taken away. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That would be between Darius and the next ruler, probably a Persian, and then Daniel. And that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Okay. Um, do you have any questions? I want to take a few minutes and see if you have questions on any of this. Any question on uh, the uh, lime kiln, the fiery furnace? Any question on the lycanthropy? (laughs) I did. They were like burnt matches. Yeah, you missed it. That's all right. Huh? Any questions or comments? If the Frades runs, the runs through it. Where is the Tigris in reference? Tigris would be north of there. The if I were to draw a map of the area, the easiest way to draw a map here is the Persian Gulf. And the, the Tigris comes like this and flows into the Persian Gulf. The Euphrates comes like this. Tigris, I don't know what that name means, but Euphrates means fruitful. And this area is called Mesopotamia, which is Greek, middle of the rivers. And the Medes and Persians came from way up here. Babylon was right down here. Ur of the Chaldees was down here. This is where Abraham was called. And so Babylon was really built into the river here, originally. Most people, most scholars believe the Persian Gulf is a place where the Garden of Eden now is. Underneath there. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, this is the cradle of civilization. This is where it starts. And it goes across and comes down to Egypt. It's called the cradle because it's kind of shaped like a cradle, upside down. Any other questions on this? I think this is worth uh, worth looking at because of Daniel's incredible influence on all these kings. Joseph and Moses are three of the great leaders that understood dreams and prophecy. Uh, Joseph in the Old Testament, way back in Genesis 35, uh, and in that section, he's thrown in jail. And he interprets the dreams of two guys in jail. And this is very similar to what uh, what, uh, Daniel does. He's never in jail, but he is a slave in Babylon. And, uh, you know, Daniel is very much like Joseph. I think Joseph was probably... There's no sin required anywhere or, or recorded anywhere for Joseph. There's no sin recorded anywhere for Daniel. But that doesn't mean they're not sinners. It's just not recorded. But Joseph was second in command in the kingdom, just like Daniel. He became third in command here. It's worth reading all of these chapters. Uh, I had thought about going into chapter 8 with you, but. Even Daniel was befuddled by chapter 8. It says several times Daniel didn't understand what he was being told, what he was being taught. Uh, but Daniel's the one who predicts for the Jews the exact order of the, the next empires. He predicts Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. And Alexander the Great, if it had not been for him, Alexander set out. He was actually a Macedonian. He was not a Greek. But he spoke Greek, and he loved the Greek language. His dad's name was Philip. He was the king of Macedon. And Alexander, at the age of about 28 or 9, decided he was going to conquer the world. Can you imagine just sitting around deciding, I'm 29 now, need to do something. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think I'll conquer the world. So he raised 34,000 men uh, and began marching, and he invented a new way to fight. It's called the phalanx, the Greek phalanx. It was sixteen men with four shields on the front, four shields on the side and four shields on the back. and these men carried sixteen foot spears so they could you know stab anything. but uh, when they were fought when they fought against uh, the Persians who, after Cyrus was king. Back about 320 or 330, uh, Daniel, I mean uh, Alexander the Great was, was attacked by elephants, and they just took the 16-foot spear and stuck it in the ground. The elephant would run up on that spear and they'd die. and they'd just go on to the side and go on. They had she- they had shields that hooked into each other. Side to side, and they, the shields covered from here to the top of their feet. Uh, it was almost impregnable, and they fought against over a hundred thousand, outnumbered three to one, and won in the first battle. And then several others joined with Alexander, he had about a hundred and four thousand, and he fought the Persians at the Battle of Arbela, who had more than a million. Soldiers, including 40,000 that were the so called uh, immortals who were the guard of the king of Persia. And Alexander had a hundred, I mean, he was outnumbered more than 10 to 1. And he still destroyed them completely. They couldn't do anything against that phalanx. In the middle of the phalanx, there would be guys with slings, throwing rocks that would kill people. There were, uh, in others, there were uh, archers. And uh, Alexander just, I mean, he, he redefined what it was to fight. He moved all the way across the world. When he came to Jerusalem, you may know this story. Josephus tells us, the, the Jewish historian, that the night before he came to the city of Jerusalem, he had a dream. Did I tell you this? And the dream was that when he got to the city of Jerusalem, he had conquered and destroyed and raped and pillaged and everything, when he got to Jerusalem, he saw in his dream the doors opening outward and a man in a high hat coming out with other men following him. The high hat is the hat of the priest, the high priest. And uh, so this is what his dream was. And then the next day, when he drew near to Jerusalem with his army, he was always way out in the front of his army. And uh, when he drew near, the gates opened, and out came the high priest. And the high priest read from Daniel chapter 8 to Alexander, interpreted it into Greek so Alexander would understand it. And Alexander fell on his knees before the high priest because he was reading about himself. And so they, they opened the city to him, and his soldiers came in. They were all exhausted. They ate about everything the Jews had, but they let them stay in the city and, and just bivouac there and rest up for a couple of weeks. It's the only city that he didn't conquer And then when he left there, he went on to the east and kept going to the east. In his journal, Alexander says uh, that he came into the area near India and was, and came up, his army came up to a nest of dragons. That's, you know, 19. Or 1841, some guy dug up a dragon's bones and named it Dinosaur. But dragon is the old name. When I was in uh, Greece, I went into the University of Athens and looked up in two encyclopedias. One of them was so old, it was 1400s. It was so old, it was you had to be careful turning the pages. And I found dragon in there. And I read about it in the Greek uh, dictionary, or encyclopedia, and it said, uh, very rare creatures, most have been killed by man. And then I looked up in the 1700s, another encyclopedia, and looked up dragon, and it said mythical creatures. So you see what happens. People don't live long enough to remember that these things were with us. I, I recommend that you look up B-I-B-L-E, Bible.ca, online. Read the article and look at the, at the things that they have found in Acambaro, Mexico. They've also found them in Peru. They're called Ica stones. And they're stones with multiple facets. And they have human beings, dinosaurs, triceratops interacting uh, and one guy went down there as an archaeologist was going to disprove it and so when he got there they said well let's dig under this house the house had been there 250 years the guy was saying it was a fake so they dug under the house and found almost a hundred more of those Ica stones and they were the same thing dinosaurs, humans, interacting and so he had to, he had to back off and he dated these things between 200 BC and 800 AD. Uh, when they dug up Alexand- uh, when they dug up uh, Nebuchadnezzar's castle, they found a picture on the wall uh, of a dinosaur in a cage. See, so I think these guys had anything they wanted. These these kings of the ancient world, they had total control of everything, and yet. This guy repents. And uh, the Medes come in and take over. Any other comments or questions? All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we could study tonight again. I pray that you'll continue to watch over us and bless us as we study further into this book. I thank you that you had men like Joseph and Daniel and Moses and others who were able to work with the leaders and the kings of the world. I pray, Father, that you'll give us insight into this great book and uh, that you'll teach us personally more and more about it. In Jesus' name, amen.